authority over this house. This weekend we've been doing the I Am Remnant Conference, which is a vision and a dream that God birthed in us. I wrote about it in the new book, this eventually seeing stadiums filled. But have you ever had one of those spiritual, just GPS shiftings? I always get mad at my GPS, and I actually appreciate it too. And other times when it tells me I've arrived, you have now arrived, and I'm like, just praise God. But other times it goes recalculating. And what the Lord did in me just a few moments ago during the worship when Pastor Phyllis came up here, how many of you are excited about what God is doing in this house? Somebody give my God a praise. You got to, come on. There's an anointing in this place. Come on, stand on your feet and praise him across this house because there's a freedom over this place. Almost one of those moments where God is saying, will you let me be God? Now there's a reason why you're standing. Remain standing if you want. had all this stuff I wanted to do to show you what God is doing around America. Weekend before last, after Karen got done speaking at the I Am Remnant conference, we came and got a report brought to us in Phoenix. We were in Phoenix. And they said, you got to come back here. It's an incredible church like Calvary. And all the children began to pray in other tongues. Do y'all still believe in that? The Lord began to speak to me during worship, even as Pastor Phyllis went up and just kind of opened the heavens. Wow. And I want to say this, and I think it's an understood, but you can't say it enough. Because uh, honor is the doorway to uh, encounters with God. I believe that. Pastor and, and Pastor Phyllis, we just think you're the best. There's nobody like you. Nobody like him. Nobody like him. Can I say some things to you? And the reason why you're standing is because I want to, I want to uh, make way for the uh, the bridegroom. I want to make uh, just a, a holy call to his presence because this is going to be a different Sunday. Is that all right? I don't even know how long I'll go. Uh, but last night, as I was laying in the hotel room, we saw the Lord do some incredible things at the Remnant Conference this weekend. People called in a ministry and a lot of neat things, but this is Sunday morning. Laying in bed late last night, I kept hearing over and over at midnight, Revelation 22, verse 17, where the Bible declares that it's the end result when he says, the spirit of the bride says, come. Let each one who hears them say, come. Let the thirsty one come, anyone who wants to. Let, let them come and drink the water uh, uh, of life without any charge. And I kept reading it over and over, laying in bed. I'm reading it on my phone just over and over. And I'm going, Lord, why do I feel that so strongly? And then this morning when Pastor Phyllis came up and kind of just punched the devil, the Lord said, this will be an awakening morning for those in this room that somewhere along the way began to relegate God to a Buddha on a shelf. This will be an awakening morning for those that if you will grab hold of it, it will take you, it will shift you, and it will stir you. Are you ready for that? Would you lift your hands and, and, and across the room begin to pray in the Spirit if you do that? Come on, a little bit louder, a little bit louder, a little bit louder because the altar's open already. 
because when humanity meets divinity, that's an altar call. And the Lord says, I am pouring my love out and my glory out on this house. And it is just the beginning of a new dispensation of his presence. Things are going to begin to happen in this place that you've never seen before. Signs, wonders, and miracles. And God says, if you will open your spirit up to me, this will be the morning that I will take you back to the first encounter. I'll bring you back to that heart of worship where it's all about him. Where all of a sudden you begin to cry out. And God says, am I not enough? I'm telling you, he'll restore marriages this morning. You'll get phone calls this afternoon from lost children where they say, Mom and Dad, I've got to change. I hear it in the spirit where God is saying, Ask me and I'll give it to you. But he's giving out an invitation saying, If you're thirsty, come. Are you ready for his word this morning? You may be seated across this house and get ready. I have a feeling that um, we may uh, go from perpetual to perpetual from this service to the next one. Is it okay if I share a word from the heart of God today? And I do want to warn you that contents of this message is harmful to your flesh. Because I'm not preaching. Sometimes when I get to come to Calvary, man, we, 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 we preach uh, just, you know, glorious encounter, fun, fun, fun message. Today's not going to be like that. And if you have any emails at the end of the service, send them to Pastor Josh at Calvary. <laughs> you like, you agree? Pastor Joey's with me, so there. But the Lord is doing something huge. God gave us a dream. He said, I will pour out my spirit in cities across America. In fact, what you've got to understand this morning is I go into this word, and I'm, I believe it's a prophetic word over this house. It's part of the next level of what's already happening here. I've come to add to what's already happening, not bring something new. But, but the Lord is running, wondering and, and, and calling out, why does the bride run from me? Sitting on a flight two weeks ago, I was flying to Phoenix and I ended up sitting next to a businessman and we just kind of became friends and he's a banker and we're just talking and, and he began to look at me and say, what's wrong with the church? This man is actually best friends with former President Bush, uh, Junior, uh, George W. And we're talking back and forth and he says, and he's telling me how he sits and reads the scriptures and, and weeps. And man, I'm on this flight for two and a half hours and I don't know about you, but because I fly almost every week, I, I don't like to talk. I'm usually writing a new book or working on something and I just like to get over in the corner by myself. And, 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 and the minute we sat down, something happened there was a synchronicity that took place and until two and a half hours later landing in phoenix we're getting off the plane and we're both just going after god together are you with me so far but the minute I got back to my hotel room that afternoon, I was going to rest, get ready for the remnant conference that night. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to write this word. And literally wrote it up till church. A simple message that I must share this morning. Bible says in Romans 11 verse 5, so too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. From cover to cover, the Bible is about the remnant. Who are the remnant? They're the ones, if you study it in the Hebrew, it's what's left over after everyone's either falling away or been destroyed. How many of you know we're living in a very dark time in America? Now, I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. I'm here to tell you because God's not done with America. He's sending a move of the Spirit. You need to know it is coming. 
I told them last Friday night at Brownsville down in Pensacola, I love what God did here 20 years ago, but every 20 years, if you study the history of revivals, every 20 years it breaks out again. And I love what he did there, but I'm ready to see it now. It's awesome what he did there. But what you've got to realize is God says, he says, I'm looking for someone that is desperate. Desperation is always leads to revelation. And, and, and God ordained this morning before you were ever born, before the foundation of the earth. He knew this morning was going to take place. And, and, and I want to encourage you. And as I get into this, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. This obviously will forever be mine and Karen's home. In fact, Karen will be at second service, but she preached last night and tore it up over it. At, uh, the, and, and she will tell you her number one influence in her life is Pastor Phyllis Sawyer. She tells people that all over America. She just wrote it in her new book that she's writing. I must preach this word that he spoke to me. Because I believe with all my heart that if the remnant doesn't rise, we are doomed as a nation. Because we're living at a time where truth is the new hate speech. And the enemy of truth is silence. And I have learned the more you tell the truth, the, the smaller your circle is going to get. We're living in a time when you actually believe in biblical marriage, Matthew chapter 19. They like to say that Jesus didn't speak to it. That's a lie. We're living in a time where grace is being preached without responsibility, which is nothing but religion. And we're living in a time, grace is not an excuse to walk away from the cross and do whatever you want. It's an excuse to climb on and, and go, get aboard with him and get away from the bottom with the mourners and the gamblers and climb back up there and realize without his grace that pardon and sets me free, I can't live a holy life. Give God a praise this morning. But you must understand, I feel called to live somewhere between amen and there it is. And I have a sleep disorder called revelation. And last night as I began to read through just more, I was just reading, praying and reading. And it took me to Isaiah chapter 10 verse 21 where it says a remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. One of the things I do is I share a lot of the manifesto, just the quotes that's in the, in the, in the, uh, the book that God gave me one morning or one afternoon when I was praying. And, and, and that is the remnant has decided at all costs, I cannot quit on the one who would not quit on me. And identity breaks curses. And there's something that happens when you begin to realize who you are. And this leads me up to the fact that last summer in June, I, I was in a hotel in Nashville. And I shared this, uh, I think, a couple nights ago at the Remnant Conference or yesterday morning. And, and in the dream, all of a sudden, I found myself uh, jogging, running, which is not what you want to do when you're sleeping. And, and, and I'm, I'm running with Karen. And we're running from Alabama from what I could tell on this giant map, like you see a map on the floor of the United States, and we're running, but as we're running across this, this map, uh, I'm holding her hand and we're screaming that we must get people to safety. Now, I have prophetic dreams. God gave me a dream that he would fill stadiums across America with a generation worshiping, and it won't be about a preacher. It'll be about an awakening of cities crying out to God, saying, without him, we cannot do it. Are you with me so far? Because revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows up. 
And all of a sudden in the dream as I'm running, I'm holding Karen's hand and I'm screaming, we got to get people to safety. We got to get people to safety. We got to get people to safety. And this wave is chasing us. This giant wave is chasing us. And, and as it's chasing us, I mean, I'm screaming, Karen, we got to get people to come on, get them out of the wave. They're going to die. They're going to die. This wave is engulfing everything behind us. And I do believe that with the wave of God's glory, because that's what it was, they ended up being in the dream because the Lord later showed me what you saw because it was two weeks later that I was at the Capitol and then I was speaking uh, and we saw congressmen fall on their knees crying out to God and we saw uh, uh, ambassadors and leaders of America worshiping and praising God and stretching their hands out towards the White House and we saw this outpouring of God take place and, and all, all these leaders came together and it was two different times this summer but in the dream I, I found myself standing on the Capitol steps when the wave hit and the next morning I was so grieved because I said Lord your word says in Genesis 9-11 that, that you will never do that again. You won't destroy the earth with a flood. And then later on that day, in, in my silliness, I didn't recognize it. And, I, and the Lord said to me when I was praying later that afternoon, he said, Pat, what you saw was my last wave of outpouring that's coming. But we're living in tense times. When everything is measured by our happiness rather than by God's holiness, the very sense of, our, our, of us being sinners is offensive. And the Lord spoke to me a simple message that I must share, simply titled, Am I Not Enough? When will the cross, and I'm going to go with simple today, when will the cross be enough to satisfy our urges to walk past Jesus and into the arms of compromises, when will that stop? He says, I'm looking for those who will abandon the mirror of compromise and look out the window of harvest. He said, I'm looking, I'm looking for those that are desperate again. And, and, and see, the remnant is afraid of only one thing, and that is that time will not permit all they feel by, called by God to do. I wake up thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it, this stirring that it is coming to America. It's gotten a hold of me. But he spoke this word to me, and I must share it. Am I not enough? I'm so desperate. When he spoke that to me, it was just sitting on the flight that Friday two weeks ago, and I got to my hotel room. I immediately looked up the word enough, and it means adequate for the want or need, sufficient for the purpose or to satisfy the, the desire. He says, am I not enough? He said in Psalms 2, ask of me, and I will give the nations as an inheritance to you. Why won't you let me be enough? Two different times over the last couple of months or few months, I've heard the Lord say that to me. Am I not enough, Pat? Once was uh, my son Nate was uh, in high school. We didn't know it. He was an athlete, high school football player, college football player. But he had developed a, a genetic disease in his, his spine, and his spine began to turn, and, and then football made it worse. And he's in college playing football, and, and things are getting worse and worse, and we're flying him home to see neurologists in Birmingham and all this kind of stuff. And finally we found out that he would need to have surgery. And now Nate, by the way, I became a grandpa on December 21st. Is that crazy or what? Uh, my, my little grandson Jack, you'll see him in the NFL. In fact, I used to always say, you don't know Jack. Now I have to say, you don't know George. And, and so, but Nate's a youth pastor down in Dallas. And, and finally, it, it came to the point where it was such intense. He was being bent over like this. 
and and uh, and so we decided to have this surgery. Well, the surgery is very intense. It's very intense. It's seven and a half hours at Baylor University where they would take and split his back down and put two rods and attach it to the spine and all this crazy stuff. And so we're getting ready to have surgery back in August, and we're at Baylor Hospital in Houston, and we go down there, and 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 just about the time he's getting ready to have surgery, we we go into the to the consultation. I mean, right before the surgery, they've got the IV in. I mean, he's they're getting him ready. And, and I'm, I'm beginning to panic on the inside. And, and um, all of a sudden, uh, the doctor comes in and he says, hey, by the way, I, I need to tell you, he could come out paralyzed or he could die because of the amount of blood he's going to lose. And I'm going, where did you get your bedside manner? And I got so overwhelmed with fear that I had to go out in the hallway. And everyone's gathered around the bed. I had to go out in the hallway, and I had to just, okay, Pat, be the leader, be the leader, be the dad, be the dad, stop, get control. You know how, and I'm, I'm praying in tongues, and, 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 and finally I just, okay, all right, I go back in the room. And at this point, there's a Methodist little chaplain there, and I, God bless him, he's precious, but um, he's, he's retired, and obviously, and he's a chaplain, and he says, well, I came in to pray with the family. And so they're gathered around the end of the bed, and, and I come walking in, and they're waiting on me, so I'm going to kind of, you know, come in and break the chain and hold everybody's hands and let him pray. But I look at him. praying no religious stuff on us I'm, I'm being real now and all of a sudden I go I look over at me he goes we're going to pray I said I got this I really did Karen went Nate Nate was half high at that point he's going and, and, and pray, bless his heart I mean he's called he's great he's a precious man but not at this moment because immediately I went, I bind you enemy. You cannot have my son's health. I began to pray in the spirit. And I felt him because he was holding my hand. I felt him grip on up. And he's like, oh, dear God, where have I come? And everybody, I said, everybody around the bed, my daughter-in-law, uh, uh, Abby, Karen, we all began to pray in other tongues. Nate lifted his hands, began to pray in the spirit. And immediately when we got done, he looked at us and he goes, I think y'all got this. And all of a sudden, Karen went out to go and pray. She found a little room to pray. Uh, Adrian had to go call her, mo her mom, and she wanted her to pray with her. And Nate, they're taking Nate away to surgery. And I go to this little room, and I'm standing in this little room, and it's a little waiting room that's open. The hallway is right outside, and so people are walking by. And I am overwhelmed with fear. And I get on my knees, and I lift my hands, and God says, Am I not enough? He said, you get up and praise me. I've given you prophetic words over this boy and what he will do. And all of a sudden, I get up and begin to dance before the Lord. This really happened. I begin to dance before the Lord. And about that time, the little Methodist chaplain walked by again. And I'm just like worshiping the Lord. And he walks by and I just see him go. 
folks, when you are under attack and when hell is standing at the gateways of your bed and you know everything is coming against you, there comes a moment where you throw out pomp and circumstance. There's a moment you throw out political correctness. There's a moment where you begin to fight for your babies. I'm talking to somebody in this room that God is saying this is your morning to begin to declare I am enough. I am the more than enough. I can handle this thing. God says I'm about to rise up and he did it too. I'm, I love what it says. Oh, listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and I'll go to Luke 22 in a moment, but it says, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its, its own. In your weakness, it's not till you got nothing left that God is the end of yourself is the beginning of God. Are you getting this so far? He told me to preach this this morning because by the time we get done in the next 15 minutes, you're going to be screaming, you are enough. And at the moment you begin to declare he is enough, he meets you and says, watch me do more than enough. It's that moment of transformation where God says, I'm calling you. It goes on to say, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Because the remnant seeks nothing but always has everything to give. There's a moment where God begins to shift you. He begins to change you. But I must warn you. I want to examine for the next few minutes our ability to walk away. from the one who gave it all. Our ability to say you're not enough. And the altar's open. Because spiritual confidence is always easiest when self-preservation is not at play. And I think about Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a part of the three. He was the inner circle. You can decide this, you can divide the disciples into literally the way the temple was laid out from the outer court, inner court to the Holy of Holies. He was a part of the Holy of Holies. Three different groups in the disciples, three levels of leadership. Simon Peter was the one that Jesus walked up to and said, Hey, buddy, drop your nets, sell the fishing industry. He wasn't a normal guy. Have you ever watched Deadliest Catch? Those people are freaks. They don't have any teeth. I've been to Alaska. I've met some of those guys. They are maniacs. He wasn't a sweet little dressed up, looked like he just got out of Bible college, prim and proper person. He was a thug. He had a cussing problem. We'll see it in just a moment. And yet Jesus said to him, come hang with me. And we'll change the world. Go with me, Simon Peter, and we'll see things. I love Simon Peter because there was times where he was brilliant and other times where he was stupid. There was times when he would say, you are the Christ. And Jesus would say, upon that faith the church is built. And other times Jesus would say, hey, Satan, get behind me. Times where he would go into the Mount of Transfiguration and be a part of the most intimate staff meeting in history. And then, and then he would open his mouth and say, hey, you guys want me to build you a house? <laughs> Shut up, Peter. Times where he was anointed and could get out of the boat and then remember all of a sudden in the middle of the waves that it's shark week. 
I love Simon Peter because it's his failures that would drive him to the tomb. It's his failures that would drive him to dive out of the boat. But the Bible says this. How is it that someone could experience the glory of God and walk away so easily? See the miracles, the feedings and all that. I'm come to talk to the backslidden bride. That you live like hell on Monday and worship like you're something on Sunday. I've come to talk to the ones that somewhere along the way you have compartmentalized your walk with God instead of understanding everything outside of your Christianity is part-time. Come to talk to the ones that worship and dance when you got a need, but you wander on Sundays when you don't. Am I offending anybody? I'm not meaning to. I'm doing what the Spirit said to me at midnight last night. He said, I'm calling my bride back to me today. I'm calling a level of commitment back in this house. I'm calling people that will rise up and dream this thing out again. He said, because do you realize, because look what the Bible says in Luke 22, and I'll, I'll, I'll get done. I've gone too long already. But the Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verse 33, I love Luke 22 because you see the rise and the fall of a man. I have learned that in order for a person to come to a place of change, they have to come through some different levels. You can't, you don't just change. I'd love to be instantly sanctified. Wrong church, wrong building. I'd love for us all to be free. But I, I, I know personally that it has been a continual walk of dying to what I was raised in and living for what he's called me to. Are you getting this so far? Dying to the old, but look what it says in Luke 22. It says, Peter said, Master, me and you, baby, I'm going to jail for you. <laughs> I'm going to jail. That's right. I'll go to jail for you. In fact, I'm ready for anything. I die for you, Jesus said. I'm sorry to have to tell you, Jesus said, but there's an alarm clock going to go off. You know, alarms are annoying. They're demonic. The iPhone has 30. You can set it for every five minutes, and it will keep going. It did it this morning. But what you got to understand is he says, I'm sorry to tell you this, Peter, but the rooster's going to crow, and it's going to grow three times. And during that time, three times you will deny me. And the remnant must understand that the true test of spiritual death happens when everything you have learned becomes a blur in the eyes of a wounded Savior. Stare at the empty spot that you once delighted in. It's understanding. It goes on to say, jump up with me. If you would just 30 more verses at Luke 22, verse 60. And Peter said, man, <laughs> I don't know him. I mean, at that very moment, no, this is critical, this is critical, this is critical. At that very moment, the last word hardly off of his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then the master turned and looked at Peter, and that's my thesis for this word that God told me to share this morning. The look that he turned and gave was, wasn't I enough? What else do you want? That you can so easily curse me sitting in the fire. And Peter, remember what the master had said. And before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried and cried and cried. What you got to understand, church, in the simplistic word that God sent me to share over this house is very simply. Compromise declares that God is not enough. 
And we're living in a day where they have, we have seen the firing of the Holy Spirit from most churches. And when you remove one-third from 100, that's 33.3. If you take away Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you take away one-third of the Trinity, it leaves the number of 666. Because we've got Father, we've got Son, we've got Holy Scriptures, but we have somehow gotten to a place where we don't need His Spirit anymore because He might embarrass our flesh. And God is saying, I'm looking for a people that will worship me, that will go through their house and cry out for me. I'm looking for a people that will encounter me. I'm looking for a people that will lay hands. I, I said this to a group of ministers recently. When did the move of God that it, we experienced that launched us into this great thing somebody suddenly become childish for the next generation? And we're living in a time where God is on trial in America. And he's asking for those that will stand up. And even in the darkest moments, at the moments where the greatest of the attack is, will stand up and praise me regardless. Regardless, And we're living in a time where the consumerism of the gospel is forcing the gospel to be packaged in a tin foil of compromise instead of being reinforced with the steel foundation of God's very truth. And he's told me to come and ask you, am I not enough? Is social media more important than me? When's the last time you had, went to that place where you fell on your knees and said, God, you are enough. You are all I want. And a backslidden sinner is a person that somewhere along the way determined that God was not enough and we have a generation that knows how to confess without repentance and there's a holy cry coming from the throne of God where God's saying I'm looking for a bride to show up at a wedding and not a prostitute to come and hang out with a pimp. He says I'm looking for somebody that will get back. Am I, am I being too intense today? If I am, I, I, I'll leave this afternoon. But the Lord told me to come and say over this house that he is unrolling a new scroll and he's about to raise up new leadership and he's about to raise up voices that will stand firm and God says I'm going to pour my spirit out. There's been a promise a prophetic word spoken over Calvary and we have yet to see it. It is coming. There is a move of the Spirit that is headed this direction and there has been conflict trying to hold it back. I see this in the Spirit right now. I see a cloud of war that has been fighting what is supposed to break out over this church and God says but you need to understand no weapon formed against you shall prosper and God said for me to come and tell you I'm about to pour my glory out like oil upon this room. Give my God a praise. Galatians says, don't grow weary in well-doing. And James chapter 4, verse 7 says, so let God's work, his will in you, yell aloud no to the devil. And God says, I'm calling you back to my first love. It's Revelation chapter 2. He said, you've fallen from a fall. You've fallen a demon fall. When will I be enough? He's told me to come and preach, and I'm probably done. I've got all this I want to preach. But he told me to come and say, am I not enough? Because the sacrifice of Psalms 51, God desires is a broken and contrite spirit. And brokenness is, it's the doorway to the supernatural. But man decided long ago, long ago that God wasn't enough. Whether it was when the Bible says in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 7, that he formed man. The word man is ish. God knew that he wasn't happy, so he gave him uh, his bride, the Hebrew word there is, is she? Is she mine? That's <laughs> silly. Watch. And then God looks at him and says, but don't touch my tree. Don't touch the tithe. All horticulturists will tell you that most likely all plants come from 10 different specimens. In the garden, there was 10 types of tree. God says, don't touch my tithe. It's mine. Leave it alone. But that wasn't enough because the enemy convinced man that God wasn't enough. But he knew more. God says, don't touch my tree. Then he gives him his wife. Verse 26. 
Then all of a sudden we see the fall of man. God had to change his name from Elohim, mighty encompassing one in the Hebrew, to he suddenly changed to Jehovah because he went from a, a being to a doing. He went from being a mighty awesome God to being a dad because when I fell, I need a dad to come find me. That's why it says in Genesis 3 that his name changed to Jehovah. And he said, Adam, where are you? I can't find you. Who told you you were naked? It's dad. But that wasn't enough. And we know that Genesis 3.15 we know what happened right then. We know that God looks at Eve and looks at the serpent. He tells the serpent, he says, listen, there's going to be war between you and the woman. That's what I always tell at marriage conferences. My, I'm not discussing a devil's staff meeting. My wife is. She is a warrior spirit. Who can find a virtuous woman? And we think that sounds all sweet in and, and, and Proverbs 31. It means of war. You saw that this morning with Pastor Phyllis. You saw the war. The warrior rise up. He said, don't put war between the two of you. But there's coming a day when he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And God, listen to this, I love this because the enemy loves it when you walk away from what God has planned for you. It's Jeremiah 18 verse 15. But my people have left me to worship a big lie. They've gotten off track. And so now we have powerless, offended warriors, missing in action, POWs, MIAs, and God saying, I'm looking for a people that are desperate for me. And Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. And what I love, and listen to me, church, spiritual slavery is when you're still entangled and owned by, by what Christ already died to release you from. And the least dangerous Christian to hell is someone that preaches freedom without ever experiencing it. That's called theory versus proof. And the remnant stands on, on, on truth until the shifting sand of compromise slides from underneath their feet to reveal the rock of salvation. And I love this because even in the midst of man's failure, God says, I'll be enough for you. Watch, watch. Because then we jump all the way over to Genesis chapter 5. You know those begots? you got to be a Bible nerd to really love them. I love them. And I'll never forget one day when I was studying it. And I went to Genesis chapter 5 and I began to study the first 10 names of the descendants of Adam. And all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 5, it, it lays out Adam and his descendants. And it says this We've got Adam, we got Seth, we got Enosh, we got Canaan, we got Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, and then we got Lamech. And we think that's really cool. Those are cool names. Let's get to the good stuff in the Bible. But we don't realize that even in the midst of man's failure, God was saying, I'll be enough for you. I'll take care of you. I'll cover you. Because if you take all those names and put them together, it's a prophetic standing that God began to do. Even in the midst of man's failure, even in the midst of separation, even in the midst of the wall, all of a sudden, if you put all their names together, it means man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Give my God a praise offering. Are you with me so far? Such a simple word. I could go way deeper into it because he, he says I'm enough. And there's a moment where you have to declare I can't get enough. And I'm being honest with you. The desperation inside of me is making me a worthless wreck right now. In a good way. Because I wake up in the morning time and I hear him saying, will you declare? I go to bed. Will you declare? Psalm 63, verse 1, God, you're my God. I can't get enough of, of, of you. I've, I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God traveling across dry and weary deserts. See, because you don't even realize, and this is it. He made me a big enough house. John 14, there's more, enough room, more than enough rooms in my father's house. He said, I won't leave you as an orphan. John 14, verse 18, I'll leave my spirit for you. He said, I shed my blood for you. Colossians 1. 
Verse 20, it says, and through his blood to reconcile to him all things, to be enough. John 15, verse 7, he says, hey, apart from me, you're nothing. If you decide that you can't be a part of this vine, you're going to get thrown into the fire. And we're living in a time where people are actually removing the theology of hell from major denominations. But hell is a real place. How do I know that? Because I dreamed about it at 16 years old. Stand with me across this house. Hold on one second. Just one second. Just one second. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. I feel like the Lord wants to do something. And I must jump to the very end of this because uh, it, it, it's so critical because there comes a moment where you've had enough. Peter denies Jesus and runs off into the night. Now, we know that he had already run off one other time. We know that he fell asleep in the middle of the most intense time in the Bible when Jesus is in the garden. We know that the, the, the three, this, the, the, they got overwhelmed with their own needs, and they fell asleep, and Jesus comes and, and says, am I not enough? I mean, can you not spend an hour with me? We know that Jesus warned Simon. In fact, he called him Simon, his old name, which means broken reed. Simon, Simon, Luke 22. We know that they came to arrest him and Peter's flesh rises up and he chops off the ear of the priest soldier and Jesus heals him. In fact, at the moment he spoke to him, they fell back in time and that's still happening. We know that Peter began to follow at a distance. What was so important? That the cross became a relic on your neck instead of the place of freedom. What else does he have to do? Am I not enough? Jesus goes to trial. Peter could have interrupted it. Second testimony would have stopped everything. But instead he's sitting around the fire and he's bowing down to a, an old lady and a slave child and saying, I don't know him, blankety blank. I don't know him. I don't know him. And Jesus turns to him and looks at him and says, am I not enough? Peter runs weeping into the night. And three days later, they're fishing and much like Luke chapter 5 when he got called into ministry. And it was a replica of the first night that <laughs> Jesus said, have you caught anything? And then three days later, Jesus is standing on the banks of the Jordan with scars on his body. And he says, have you caught anything? And John, who loved him so much, was in such communion, looked up and said, Master, Peter jumps up, takes off his shirt, dives into the water and swims to the bank. Next thing you know, they're sitting around the fire. And he says, hey, Peter. Do you love me more than these? Okay, I do, I do. I'm a failure, I do, I do, I do. He goes, then feed my lambs. If you love me more than the feeling of revolution in the air, the, the miracles, the signs and wonders, hanging out with it, the camaraderie of the disciples, do you love me more than these? And at that exact moment, because Jesus was the resurrection of enough. And with the fire cooking right there, Peter 
It's the only other time you'll find that same word in the Greek there for fire is when he denied him. It's the same exact fire. Jesus made the same fire because the aroma, the smell, smell, the sense brings back memories. And immediately he's remembering that moment, sitting at the fire a few days before saying, blankety blank, I don't know him. And now three days confronted with the face of a Messiah looking at him, he says, I love you. We don't hear about Peter very much later until he decides to stand up and preach on the day of Pentecost because one moment in the upper room, one outpouring in an upper room will change a man from being a coward into being a preacher that will see thousands saved and he will raise up the remnant. Peter became the remnant of the New Testament. He brought forth the remnant and then we would even see him later in Acts 3 seeing a man healed at the gate beautiful and then stepping up in Acts chapter 4 and preaching the gospel. Why? Because when Caiaphas confronted him about the man being healed he steps up and, and and Caiaphas said how did you do this and Peter looks over in John and says chill out John you know why Peter was able to step up in front of Caiaphas and preach and declare who Jesus was because Caiaphas means the rooster's crowing again that's what his name means in the Aramaic the rooster's crowing and this is what the Lord sent me to come and ask you today and I'm done I'm done and I honor this house more than you have no idea I would not be in ministry without that man I would not have preached to two million people without that man. But my God sent me here. At midnight last night at 1230 in the morning, he would not let Revelation 22, 17 out of me where it says, come, come, come. Oh, we're thirsty, come. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. He's saying, come. He's saying, I'm looking for people that'll get back to the place where he'll say, I am enough. He is enough. He's more important than a promotion. He's more important than a raise. He's more important than, than the newest house, the newest car, the newest outfit. He's more important. He's more important. He told me to ask you. He's screaming and he is falling on the ground. He is on trial in America and we're sitting around the fire and we're at that moment right now in America the exact moment in time where all of a sudden he's turning and looking at the Simon Peters, the remnant of today, and he's saying, wasn't I enough? Am I not enough? Am I not The Spirit of the Lord is standing in front of you this morning from the balcony to the floor and there are people in this room that are miserable because he's calling for his bride to awaken. And we're so tired of waiting on you, prodding you, telling you he's enough when you are going to have to make up your mind like I did in that hospital room. You're enough for my baby boy. You're enough for my son. You're enough. And in that seven and a half hours of reconstruction of a spine, I kept saying, you're enough. Your grace is sufficient. Lift your hands and cry out to God now. Spirit in the bride says, come. Hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on. 
The spirit and the bride says, come. The spirit and the bride says, come. One of our students, a leader, prophetically came up to me this morning and he said there's going to come a moment in the service when they stand, when the flesh is going to scream, don't do this. And they're going to have to fight through it. Did I say that correctly, Jordan? This has only happened since we've got here where our students are all coming up and saying stuff. It's really weird. They don't normally do that. Spirit in the bride says, come. All who are thirsty, come. Church, from this side over, begin to cry out to God now. Ready? Like a wave. Now the world will tell you you can't grow a church having services like this. I'm here to tell you it's the only way to build the church. God says, the spirit and the bride says, come. The spirit and the bride says, come. There is an unlocking in the spirit over Calvary today where God is saying it's a new season, a dispensation of his glory like you've not understood. There's going to be people walking through the door that are going to be set free from bondage instantaneously and they're going to crawl to the altar. But God says to my bride in this house today, I say come. Spirit in the bride says, come. Come on, I don't know why you stop crying out. This is that wall where we usually stop, you know. It's like, okay, thanks, Pastor. Love you. See you next Sunday. No, no, no. It's another level. It's another level. It's another level. It's another level where God's saying, I'm calling my bride back to me. The spirit in the bride says, come. I don't know why he keeps telling me to do that. I've never said that. It happened at midnight this last night. The spirit in the bride says, come. I want to warn you in a moment. I'm going to invite you to walk down here. You can do it now if you want. The altar area is open. When humanity meets divinity, that's an altar call. But God is saying, I'm looking for only the desperate today. If you're not desperate, if you are really, really self-satisfied, I need to warn you because that's going to get rocked pretty soon. You might you might have some interruptions on that right there. Because, But the spirit in the bride says come the spirit in the bride says come and I want to invite you if you are desperate for God on this Sunday morning and I know I know I know I know it's Sunday morning and we're almost at the 11th hour but God is saying the spirit in the bride says come if you're desperate for God when you begin to walk down the spirit of God is going to hit you it's going to move upon you he's going to begin to break things off and you're going to begin to shake in his presence and if you are hungry for God from the balcony especially the Lord keeps speaking to me about the balcony there's some of you that God wants to realign your cells he wants to heal your bodies he wants to and all you've got to do he wants to heal your finances he wants to heal your marriage he wants to all he's saying am I not enough if I never do anything else is it enough if you want God get out of your chairs now come on I'm talking to even my senior adults, the foundation of the house, the front rows for you. Everyone in the house, come and join us right now. Would you play softly, just softly, just real soft. Come on, all over the house, everyone join us down here for five minutes. Come on. Spirit in the bride says, come. 
I have a good friend of mine. He's a former NFL player, played for Ohio State. He recently said to me in a text, it's going to be in my new book, he said, Pat, it wasn't until, his name's Maurice Claret, he said, Pat, it wasn't until God walked into the jail cell that I cried out and changed. That I realized he was, he was trying all these religions. He said, at that moment, I changed. He said, I felt the love of a savior, of a father I had never felt before. See, it is the goodness of God. Can I, can I point out an area right here? Hey, uh, who is that laying on the ground right here? Who is this guy right here? Uh, whoever that is, I need you to know that's my spot. You all laid up in my spot. That's a spot where as a youth pastor I would have encounters over and over with God right there. That's my spot. That's my altar. And this worn out carpet, and I love it. I love it because it's worn out. <laughs> Where tens of thousands of lives have been transformed. The spirit in the bride says, come. Am I not enough? Can I not hear your family? The spirit in the bride says, come. Spirit in the bride says, come. Every eye shut across this house. Very simple call. This is the day of declaration. This day marks history. This day goes down in history as the moment. On this day, January the 25th, God is saying, I'm calling for a bride to rise up in this house. And God says, or 24, I'm not sure what day it is. And God says, on this day, if you want me, this is your moment. I know this is the most different message I've ever preached here, but the Lord told me to do it. And so across this house, every eye shut, there are people in this room that have sin in your life. I want to warn you. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is to be turned over to yourself. Then you're in trouble. When God begins to leave you alone, that's when you should be the most afraid. Because how great is the love he has lavished on us that he wants to call you his child. And what he already paid for on the cross, he wants to restore to you right now. So with every eye shut across this place, no, I will not manipulate you. I will not do anything like that. It's very simple. If you say, Pat, I have deep sin in my life, and somewhere along the way I've settled around the fire instead of having the fire in me, and I've begun to deny him in my life, and I've invited sin in my life. Hold on, no music, no music. Holy Spirit says I'm going to settle on you right now like a weight. The weight of your sin is going to get crushing for a moment because he's going to awaken you to your sin. And I think sometimes we can live in such a, bl a blur of life that we no longer realize what's wrong and God says I want to awaken you not to legalism but to holiness and he says across this room I'm calling on you to change your house today I'm calling on you to change your family your kids and your grandchildren's spiritual inheritance is at risk and God says you've allowed secret sin in and no one is looking and if you need an encounter with God to forgive and change you at this moment I promise you he might even heal your body because it says that in the Bible that when you get forgiven of sins he'll heal your body it's tied together by the way, the forgiving my sins, healing my body. And all over this place, God says, if you want to have the sin lifted off of you and to be able to breathe again because you're being crushed by the weight of what he already took care of, if you have sin in your life, raise your hand now. Raise it up high. Yeah, all over the house. That's it. All over the house. Raise it up. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. yep. What's Pat defined sin? Anything that is contrary to God's word. If you raise one hand and you're bold enough to do that and you don't really care what anybody thinks because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Raise your other hand now.
There's hands up all over this place. Welcome to the cross. It's going to get very heavy for just a moment. That's why we raise our hands. With your hands raised, say, Jesus. Now, I want you to do it boldly. I need to do it boldly. And I mean, I don't care if you've been raising this thing your whole life. There comes a moment where if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. It is a confession by faith. In this moment, uh, it's a moment where when confession hits, repentance hits it on the other side. It's where God begins to rip it out of you. So with both hands raised, say, Jesus, help me invade me. Forgive me you feel that he's right in front of you he's breathing on you right now man I'm not being weird the spirit of the Lord is saying spirit in the bride says come I hear the restoration I hear the sound <laughs> this sounds weird I hear the sound of chains hitting the floor I hear a calling where God is beginning to say church Go past yourself now. Cry out now. Ask him. Ask him. Say, I'm sorry. We got to say this. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've not always believed you were enough. But today, I say, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. I say, you've given me everything I need for life and wholeness. So, Jesus... I'm asking you. I'm warning you now. Get ready on this last part. Say, Jesus. I'm warning you because it's going to hit you and you're not going to understand it. It's going to be, you're going to feel his presence. Say, Jesus, breathe upon me with the fresh breath of the wind of God. Cleanse me. Restore me. You are Lord. Breath of God. Heal me now. Come on, cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out. I want somebody across this room. The rooster is crowing and he's saying, will you testify for me? Will you testify for me? Will you testify? Oh, here it comes. It's coming like a wave. God is looking for the testimony of the Simon Peters in the house. They will simply raise their voice and as loud as they can from young and old, scream, you're enough! Louder, you're enough! You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Now look up and say, you're enough for my now. You're about to start experiencing more than enough. You start to, you're about to start walking in the miraculous things of God that no one could have planned out for you. Because at the morning, or at the moment that God becomes completely sovereign in your life, when the I am becomes the I am of it all, at that moment, it is no longer your ability to make it happen. Your business changes. Your finances change. Your marriage change. Everything about you changes. It's the I. Coming to that place of. You're enough, God. You're enough. Now, you know the issue that's pressing on you right now. And I want you to think about it. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your marriage. And if you have an issue that just immediately, it's at the top of your head. First thing you got to say is, you're enough. Come on, you ready? Do it now. Whatever your issue is, louder, 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 louder. Say, you're enough. <laughs>